Welcome to Always Bev, The Ripple Effect. I am your host, Barb Jordan. And I want to take time to reflect on our last episode with Lauren Silva, who shared her trauma from being a survivor in the Highland Park shooting, which happened July 4th of this year, 2022. Uh, She was excellent, and we have received so many positive reviews from that episode. In today's episode, I interview a young woman who was in a relationship. Well, really, when you listen to it, what was not to like? think that it was worth pursuing because he thought I was so amazing. That charm, that flattery, sometimes, hey, we've all been a victim to it. But actions speak louder than words. And when you pay attention to situations and how you're treated, it can save your life. And I was on the phone with my mom and I was like, mommy's in the backyard, mommy's in the backyard. And she was like, hang up and call the police. And I was like, I can't, like, I don't know what to do. I am totally panicked. Domestic violence is defined as a pattern of behaviors used by one partner to maintain power and control over another partner in an intimate relationship. And getting that power and getting that control comes in different ways. And you don't need all of these signs to say that you're in an abusive relationship. But here's some of them. Jealousy, jealousy of your friends and time that you spend away from them. They prevent you or discourage you from spending time with your friends and family. They may insult you or shame you, especially in front of others. They might prevent you from making your own decisions about where you work, when you work, or attending school. They control the finances. They take your money or refuse to provide you money for necessary expenses. They may pressure you to have sex with them and do things sexually that you're not comfortable doing. They insult your parents or they threaten to harm you or take away your children or your pets. They might intimidate you with weapons like guns and knives, and they destroy your belongings. Again, you don't need all of these to say you're in an abusive relationship. And if some of these apply to you, well, that's not love. My guest today is Alex Cothran. Alex, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, of course. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Now, listen, you know, my my episodes vary and you have a very, I would say, interesting story to some concerning story to others. But if you can, this is about a past relationship and how you were able to get out. But you told me when you first got in it, it was just wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about this guy that you met and how awesome it was when you first started? Yeah, of course. So um, I actually had gone to middle school with this gentleman and we ended up going to high school together and he kind of pursued me um, because of our mutual friendships with some athletes at my high school. Um, It was very much a, you're what I'm looking for. I want you to be my girlfriend. I'm very, you know, interested in you. A lot of compliments, a lot of um, what I would now call love bombing, which is just telling me all these amazing things, how I'm like the best thing he's ever met and 
and really, you know, pumping up my ego uh, to begin with. Mm, how was that love bombing? Was that special? Yeah, you know, being a, a pretty tomboyish girl in high school to have attention from a, a guy was very um, exciting to me. I hadn't had very much attention from guys in the past. So it was definitely something that like made me feel pretty good and, and made me think that it was worth pursuing because he thought I was so amazing. Well, you are amazing. So maybe he did see <laughs> something in you. Was he the same year as you, older, younger? Uh, the same year as me. We did um, graduate the same year. Good looking? Yeah, yeah. He was handsome. He played on the football team. He had lots of friends. Um, he was very uh, charismatic in the way that he carried himself in front of other people. You know, he was always, you know, everyone was always excited to see him and, and say hi to him. So he definitely had a good friend group. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So you guys go out on a date and we was, do. He, was he a gentleman? Yeah. Yeah. He paid for my movie ticket. He paid for my snacks at the movie, you know, held the door open for me, opened my car door. It was very much like, kind of like, what the heck? Like I thought this was 2000 something, not the fifties, you know, and he just had really reiterated to me that he was raised as a gentleman and he always was supposed to open the doors for women and, and really just, you know, laying it on thick for me. Mm, well, now I know your mom and dad and they're pretty savvy. What was their first impression? Um, I think they were just excited that I was happy as always, you know, they gave me those, you know, tips and tricks, you know, make sure that you're paying attention if there's anything that he doesn't make you uncomfortable, you should say no. If you need us, call us, let us know what time it starts and ends and the whole thing. And, um, but at, at first, you know, it was just kind of a normal high school dating thing. It started out pretty basic. Okay. So zero concerns. You were, you were happy. And he said you were the greatest thing that's ever entered his life. Yeah, pretty much. It started out very like, you know, picture book. Like okay. high school sweetheart story. Type thing, <laughs> <you know? laughs> okay. So as you're going along, how many months before you realized, or maybe you said, huh, that's weird that you said something like that, where you were kind of like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Um, you know, it's, I would say probably within like six or seven months, the, the kind of guilt tripping stuff kind of started. He had had a pretty rough family life. Um, his parents got divorced. His dad started a whole brand new family without him and his siblings. And um, he never really had contact with him. And so it was very much, you know, he, his relationship was based on that failure of his parents' relationship. He wanted nothing. He wanted our relationship to be nothing like his parents' relationship. So it was always very much well, I want to make sure we do this so that I don't end up like, you know, my mom or you don't end up like my mom, you know, single, single mother to four kids. And um, I want to hang out with my family, like your family's all together. Why can't we hang out with my family? And so it just kind of started to be this guilt trip of I've had this hard life. Why aren't you making up for it? It's kind of what it felt like. Mm -hmm. And I really felt bad for him because like you said, like my family is super tight. We talk to each other about everything. We spend a lot of time together. So. Um, he definitely made it seem as though like I could help him have a better relationship with his family. And so I really just wanted to help and make him feel, you know, better about his situation. So you took an interest in the relationship to fix him, to fix his environment. Yeah. Like it's, he just, 
the way it was framed seemed like I was going to be that person to be able to help him kind of heal those wounds, I guess. And, and I'm definitely a helper by nature. And so I, it totally sucked me in. Huh? All right. What about, um, you had mentioned that he asked you to go to church with him, which, which is okay. People do that, but you didn't have the same faith. So what was that experience like? Um, it was definitely like a culture shock. I had grown up Catholic, but never into the religion part of it, but Mormon, um, you know, Sunday was a day for church. We weren't allowed to hang out, but we both were going to school and had jobs during the week. And so the weekends were really the only free time we had. And so he's like, well, if you really want to hang out with me, then you can come to church with me. And so I was like, I mean, I I'm willing to try anything once, you know? So I went and it was just like, almost like culture shock. They were like, let me tell you all the reasons the Catholic has it. The Catholics have it wrong. And I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, wait, you know? So it was definitely kind of weird. I had expressed to him how I kind of felt uncomfortable after that. I was like, I don't really know if I want to go back. And he was like, but everybody loved you. Like you were so great, blah, blah, blah. Right. Again, back to the, how great I am and how everyone loves me. And so it was kind of back and forth. I had gone a few times and there was a lot of other times where I was like, Oh no, like you do your thing, be with your family you know, but that definitely became a point of contention later on in our relationship when he was like, if we're going to be together, like you're going to have to be Mormon. And I was like, that's not going to happen. At the age of 18, you were going to convert. Right. Yeah, totally. Like I, I, that, that definitely was, was a, a spot where I was like, mm, this is going to be an argument. I can already feel it, you know, because right, I was right. not into that. Yeah. All right. So that was the first thing where you were like, hmm, okay, that's different. That's that's something that I need to pay attention to. But what else was it? Because every time you were with him, he said how wonderful you were. So what else kind of gave you a yellow flag along the way? So um, we had started uh, started dating in my senior year of high school. And then we went, um, we graduated uh, and we both started going to Moorpark College. And I had taken on more hours at work. So I was making more money. Um, and I was making more money than he was making in his job. And it was a lot of comparisons of, well, you make more money. Like, why don't you pay for this? Or you make more money. Why don't you do this? Like, and then it was like guilt tripping me for making more money. And I was like, I only took more money because of our school schedule. Like you can change your work schedule too, and make more money. Like it doesn't need to be this comparison all the time of I make more money than you or you know, whatever it may be, I have, you know, more family time, like I felt like everything that I had, it was almost like made him feel like I was trying to be better than him, which was also like alarming. I was like, I'm not sure, like, what you want me to do? Do you want me to like quit my job? Like, you know, and he was like, No, I just like, you make more money than me. So like, you should, you know, pay for this, or you should pay for that, or you should do this or that. And it, it just like, it turned into me buying him an iPad. And my mom actually had to sit us down and was like, that's a big purchase. Like, that's a lot of money. Like, why do you think that would be okay? Why do you think it would be okay to ask her of that? Like, and that's when my parents really started to voice their dislike of him was when I started talking about the money part of it and me having a better job and him being mad at that. And then me spending more time with my family and him being mad at that, you know, they were like, trying to show me that those things aren't quite normal in like a healthy relationship, that you should be happy that your significant other is improving in their job or increasing their income, not necessarily taking advantage of it. So let's say, have you ever thought about the fact that 
if you went away to college and this was happening and your parents weren't there to know that he was having these conversations with you and that you bought him an iPad, do you think you could have gotten yourself into deeper trouble with him? A hundred percent. I, I feel like as much as it's hard to listen to those people, you know, I, I ignored their advice. I'll be, you know, blatantly honest. I thought I knew better. I thought I was, you know, I had all the right answers. Um, but they're nagging. It, it came back to me towards the end when I eventually got out of the relationship that like all of those comments, all of those, all of that feedback that I was getting, it really started to click once I had made the connection. So if I had gone away and not been able to have the conversations with my parents that I was able to, it, it probably would have been a lot worse for me. What about he must not have taken the conversation well, having your mom or your your mom and dad sit him down and say, uh, now, listen, young man, did he ever try to pit you against your family after that? Yeah, it definitely was a point of contention, you know, like, you know, why is your mom telling you what to do? Like, we're grownups, we're in a relationship, like she shouldn't tell you how to spend your money. And, you know, when you're in a relationship with someone, you vent about the drama with your family. You're like, oh yeah, my sister's bugging me or my mom, you know, is bugging me about spend saving my money or, you know, spending time with the family. And so you, you kind of vent to your partner and it, it really did turn into a point of like him, instead of me just venting and him validating my feelings, him almost like talking crap on my family too, which then just started to feel really ugly, you know, like, wait, you do just not like my family. Like, because I'm venting for a moment. I'm not venting for like, it's not that I hate my mom or I don't want to talk to her anymore. You know, it, it definitely turned into, well, your mom's controlling your life and she's telling you what to do. And she's doing all these things, almost trying to take the spotlight on the fact that he was doing the same thing, right? He was controlling my life and he was trying to tell me what to do, but it was really my mom that was the enemy, right? Yeah, right. Her. Yeah. Good. Very insightful. Very insightful. Now, how long into the relationship did this, did this occur? Um, I would say about a year in, we were probably together for about two and a half years. Um, the last six months were very tumultuous, um, almost on again, off again type of dating. I was unsure and I wasn't being, I wasn't being fairly treated. That was when I really started to notice after that two year mark, I was just like, I'm sad. I don't want to spend time. I'm feeling guilty spending time. Like it just didn't feel right anymore. And I was really struggling with those feelings on how to end the relationship because that's at the point when I realized that I was stuck. Mm. Like I would bring up things that I felt like he could treat me better on and he would just make me feel like garbage about it. You know, I'd be like, Hey, like, can you not talk to me like that? And he's like, what do you mean not talk to you like that? Like, I'm not talking to you anyway. Like you're the one that this conversation or you always want to argue and and instead of just having you know communication based on our relationship and how we're feeling it was always I'm trying to start an argument with him or you know I'm trying to nitpick him and and how could I nitpick him when he's had such a hard life and he's trying to do all these good things and you know he's a good Mormon guy right like he has all these gentlemanly qualities like what are you talking about and so I just I got quiet after that and really complacent I just didn't know what to do what happened to the love bombing? I thought you were the greatest thing. Yeah, it slowly turned from I'm the greatest thing to I only nitpick him and he's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. It, it slowly morphed into instead of how great I am, it's oh, well, you could do this better. And I'm like, 
what do you mean? And he's like, oh yeah, like you could pay for this date or like you could do this or we could go do, you know, we can go to church with my family again. Like you stop doing that. And so it, it slowly, once I started setting those boundaries that come in a relationship, you know, it, it turned into, I'm the greatest thing to I'm, he's the greatest thing. And I can, I can't do better than him. And that's, yeah. When you start, you just start to notice those things. You're like, wow, I'm kind of sad wow, maybe my mom was right about those things, you know, just noticing slightly, like, I'm not sure I'm getting treated the way that I'm supposed to be getting treated in a relationship. And being 18, it's like, you don't, how do you know? You don't, you know, you can, I could, I could pretend like I knew what I was doing, but I really was, I was lost for sure. Yeah. Was he your first love? I would say, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely felt like, I was like, I picked a good guy and, you know, he went to church and he loved his family and he didn't want to be divorced and all of those things that you think that you're supposed to look for in a relationship when you're 18, you're like, yeah, yeah. Like that all sounds super great to me. And then it, it just flipped on its head so quickly. And in a way that, you know, I didn't notice the manipulation until I was getting manipulated into like buying iPads and skipping (laughs) dinners with my family and not hanging out with my friends or you know, deleting people off of my social media because he said that they were trying to get with me or they liked me more than just a friend. So. So he started controlling different aspects of your life, who you spent time with, who you could socialize with. And little by little, he started tearing you away. Is that correct? Yeah, just it was just little things, right? Like things that you would think are like protective and sweet at first, right? Like, oh, that guy was making eyes at you, like, and then he would put his arm around me or, you know, oh, so-and-so was flirting with you. Like, I think he likes you. And it was very basic. Yeah. So basically, he started to get you isolated. He got you away from whoever you wanted to interact with on social media or in person, socially, or with your family, little by little, he started to have a say about people you wanted to interact with. Is that correct? Yes. So it was, you know, at first it was when our senior year at school, you know, little things like, oh, so-and-so has a crush on you. And it was very lighthearted at first. You know, I think just he was just testing the waters to see what he could get away with. But soon it was, we'll delete him off Facebook. Like, you don't need to be friends with him. He doesn't need to see your stuff. And then, you know, it just turned into this constant, like, people at work like we had gone to a work event it was like a Christmas work party for me and he I brought him as my date and my mom and my dad were there because my mom had worked for the same company as me so we all went and I had worn a really pretty dress I felt really nice you know I was excited to be at a company Christmas party and one of my coworkers, who was a male came over and hugged me and you know said hello and right after that he was like we're leaving and I was like wait what like I was like, we, we, you know, we only ate dinner. Like we didn't stay for much. He's like, no, they were looking at you. Like, and then he's totally like picked a fight with me. And I was like, like, what the heck? Like, he's like, he was, they were staring at you. They're only staring at you because of what you wore. Like, and I was like, whoa, whoa. Okay. And so he's like, we're leaving, we're leaving right now. And he's like, if you don't leave with me, like you could drive home with your parents. And so I went up to my mom and I was like, yeah, we're leaving. And she was like, what, why? And I was like, oh, I'm really tired. I don't feel good. Right. And that felt just disgusting. Like the fact that I had to like lie to my mom because I was in a fight with my boyfriend because of what I was wearing, you know, at a Christmas party with people I worked with that was very just platonically saying hello. It, it, it that one definitely shown some light that was closer towards that last six months where I was really just questioning everything. 
at what point did you begin to fear him? Um, I would say after that Christmas party was, was a real like precursor to me questioning more, right? I was asking him, well, why, why do you want me to not be friends with them on Facebook? Or why do you not want me to, to go there? And then it, he got angry and he would like yell at me, like, you know, how can you question me? Like, you've gone along with it this far. Like, you know, you know how your parents are, right? Like, and it just like, it, it was always my fault. It was my parents' fault. It was my siblings' fault. It was, you know, that I had a job and I worked too much. And then it was, you know, oh, well, you, you want to take different classes at Moore Park. And I was like, I just want to take the classes that I'm interested in. And he's like, well, we need to take all the same classes so we can be together like all the time. And I was, that was when I was like, all right, I've had enough. So I slowly started to try to like end the relationship. Like, we either need to talk about this or I can't be with you anymore. And that's when it was, well, I'm going to kill myself then. I can't, I can't be without you. Like I can't, I can't have, you know, this life without you. Like you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. Right. And then it, he slowly tried to start bringing that kind of love bombing back. But, but, but at that point I was just so sick and tired of being mistreated that I was trying to find a way without him hurting himself to end the relationship. Um, and then at one point it had gotten physical and that's when I was like, I've had enough. Like you put mm. your hands on me. If you think you can put your hands on me, like that's it. Like I can't stay. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm over it. And um, that's when it got really scary, actually. How many times did he put his hands on you before you took action? Um, it was one altercation. He had grabbed me by both my wrists. Um, because I tried to take my phone back from him and pulled me close to his face. And he said, I'll give you your phone back when I'm ready to give you your phone back. And then he pushed me and I almost actually fell down um, like, like a single stair into the living room. And that was when like all those comments from like my family and those things just kind of like rushed into the forefront of my brain. Like this is going to get ugly really quickly. And so I actually went and got his mom and I was like, he just put his hands on me. Like I'm going to call the police if he doesn't let me leave. Like I need I need help. And I'm so glad that I had made that choice because had I tried to continue to do it by myself, I don't think I would have been able to get out of there without less than just some bruise marks on my wrist, you know? Um, so his mom told him to give me my stuff back and I, I left and that was, you know, the end of our relationship as far as I was concerned, but not as far as he was concerned, you know, he was, um, was that, was that the last time you were ever alone with him? that physical yes. altercation? Yes. Yeah. I, I was terrified after that, that he was, he was going to hurt me. And, um, did you tell your mom and dad he put his hands on you? I didn't in that moment. Um, I had just tried to leave it as we broke up. Um, I was kind of ashamed that I had even let it get to that point because I knew that that was not okay. Like that was one of those like glaring signs where I was like, if someone puts your hands like that's you don't ever put your hands on someone like that to control them or to do whatever. So I, that was really kind of the slap in the face I needed to realize that that was like not the way I wanted to go. So, um, I, I didn't tell them about it, but that's when he started harassing me, like calling me and calling me and calling me like over and over and over again. And I would block his number and then he would make a fake phone number and he would call me and call me and call me. And that's when I started to get really scared that like, I was like, oh, so now this is going to turn into a stalking or, 
you know, he's not taking no for an answer. So I started telling my mom that he was calling me uncontrollably. And she was like, we can either talk to the police. We can either talk to the parents. Like we need to come up with a plan on how to do this. And so I actually reached out to his, um, like, I, like a youth minister, his, his leader group. And I was like, hey, I don't know what's going on with him. I broke up with him because of this. Like if you could try to check in on him, like there's something going on, but I can't, I can't be that person. Um, and then my mom actually uh, contacted her uncle or my uncle, her brother um, with the LAPD. And he actually reached out to him and just said, Hey man, like this path that you're going down, it's not worth it. If you continue to do this, like you're going to get in trouble. Like really just trying to like bring some logic to that side of it. And um, it, it just didn't work. And it got to the point where he broke into my backyard, um, told me that he knew I was home, watched my parents leave the house. And my parents had only left the house to go talk to his mom to tell him that they were, they were going to contact the police if he didn't stop. And I was on the phone with my mom and I was like, mommy's in the backyard, mommy's in the backyard. And she was like, hang up and call the police. And I was like, I can't, like, I don't know what to do. I had totally panicked. I was home with my sister. She was five years younger than me. So she's like 13 and we're just like in the house freaking out. Um, and so my parents turned around and came back and um, his mom and his brother-in-law had come and taken him. Um, and after that night, he had called me at like 3 a.m. I was super groggy and he was like, I just took a, a bunch of pills. Like, I'm going to kill myself. This is it. Like, way to go. This is all your fault. And I hung up and I just called the police and I was like, listen, like I've been dealing with this. He says that he taking he's taking all these pills. He said, he's going to go at you with a knife. If you try to like take him, like he wants you to shoot him. And I found out later from the officer that I had talked to throughout the whole altercation that they had taken him 5150. They had to pump his stomach. Like he would have died. It, it was just, it was so traumatic. Um, the next day we went and filed for a restraining order because that was the only thing we really knew, like legal action that we could take so that it would stop. Where is he now? Um, the last I've heard, he's in Utah. He has a wife and a kid. Um, <laughs> I, I, I pretty much deleted all my social media after the whole thing because I didn't even want him to be able to see my name on the internet, you know, I was really, I was terrified that he was going to come find me. And before he had moved out of state, he actually broke my restraining order twice. He was on probation. He was going to get arrested because he had seen me in town. We had lived close enough. So he followed me home and I called 911 while I was driving on the road. And I was like, he's following me. I have a restraining order in my glove box against him. Like, I'm not sure what to do. And they were like, drive to the police station. So I started driving to the police station and he stopped following me. So it, it, there was a few times even afterwards where I was just like, wait, this is like, like, how can this not be over? Like I tried to take all the steps I could, but um, after the two, like after he had crossed the line with the restraining order twice and was on probation and the threat of getting arrested like had happened, then everything really stopped. And I hadn't heard from him at all after that. How has this affected you towards other relationships or new relationships in your life? Um, I definitely look for those love bombing qualities at first. Um, I try to bring up healthy boundaries 
you know, just it, it, it's definitely brought awareness as far as the beginning stages go, right? Because I, I am a really loving person. I, I, I feel like I'm kind of that romantic energy, I can fall for that really quickly. And so I really try to make sure that I'm being logical on setting healthy boundaries. I'm putting those things out there early, right? Like I have a lot of friends that I like to hang out with. I spend a lot of time with my family just to try to gauge where they're, where they're at with that. Um, if they have any comments on like what my makeup looks like or what I wear, like those are also red flags that I look for. Anything that's kind of a backhanded compliment, right? Like, oh, that dress is cute, but it's kind of you know, too short to wear out, right? Like if you're really that worried about what I'm wearing and what other people are perceiving of me, then I don't know if this is going to work out. So I've been very clear just about my boundaries, but also I've, I've talked about my experience in the past and, and, and been very straightforward with, with the fact that I'm not okay with any of that type of behavior. And so if that becomes an issue, then I'm not the person for them, you know? Thank you for sharing that. What would be your advice to a woman, young woman or older woman who's going through something like this and they see the warning signs and they see it going from you're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me to controlling every move that they do, every interaction that they want to do socially? What would be your advice? Honestly, if they don't accept you for all that you are, the good, the bad, the ugly, if they're constantly trying to make you feel like you're not bringing something to the table like it, it's just it's not ever going to be what you think it's going to be their potential is not them, right and so I, I just think that looking for those signs and talking to people and not being afraid to leave when it gets to that point you can find somebody better you will find someone that will treat you better and even if you don't find someone that will treat you better you deserve way better than being told what to do being controlled you know any of those things it's it, and to listen to the people around you um even if you don't listen at first just to keep those in the back of your head if people have concerns that they've seen just to really make sure that you're you're just saving those away for yourself because it, it could end up getting ugly really quick awesome and my last question for you alex is and you you touched on it a little bit if somebody is concerned about their relationship and a lot of times family or friends, they'll, they'll say things like, mm, not so sure. Or maybe they'll kind of say that they don't like them, but how important is it to confide in somebody if they have concerns in a relationship with who they're with? I would say it, it's, it's the most important thing. Because, you know, at first they might not listen. At first it might be something that they have to fight you on. But in order for them to see it, they have to know that they're supported by you, right? Like that, that abusive partner is going to try to isolate, isolate, isolate. And so the more that you notice that's a troubling sign, the more you should support them, even if it's difficult, right? Because the second you disappear is the second the abuser's right, right? The second that's no one, no one's going to support you like I support you. So just being consistent and being, just being genuine. Hey, I'm just concerned about you. Make it about them, not about their abusive partner, right? I'm concerned about you. You're not doing this anymore. Or I'm concerned about you because you seem sad, right? Like making it more about the person you're concerned about and not necessarily, I don't like your boyfriend or 
I don't like how he's treating you because then it becomes a defensive thing versus I'm concerned about you. That's the one thing I say, I would say that really got through to me is one of my friends had just been like, you just seem different. You just seem not you. And that's when I really was like, Ooh, I don't know if I like that. Right. Cause I, I prided myself on being a kind and happy and caring person. And for to hear that I wasn't being that was, was definitely a little bit worrisome. Awesome, Alex, for for being a young lady, you are very mature. You've learned a lot through this experience. And I want to thank you so much for sharing it and for educating our listeners today. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad I could be here. You know, I, I, I think that it's important to tell your story to everybody, anybody who can learn and, and create an experience that's not going to end up like mine. I, I, I really just hope that it reaches the right people. All right. Well, listen, you're officially part of the ripple effect. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. If you have any concerns about your relationship, if you want to see what the warning signs are in an abusive relationship, please visit the National Domestic Violence Hotline at thehotline.org. To reach them by phone, please call 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. On my next episode, and it's a difficult one, we will talk about what happened when a young teenage girl interacted with a 25-year-old predator on social media and when that predator showed up at her family's home. For those of you that continue to join in and listen to this podcast, please share it with others. And if you haven't done so yet, please give me a rating or leave me a comment on whatever podcast platform you listen to. I'm your host, Barb Jordan. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Always Bev, The Ripple Effect.